show hello everybody i'm ivis galarsep and it is another weekend but not just any other weekend it is the weekend when european soccer is back the big leagues are back most of them all except italy Serie A starts in a couple weeks but english premier league german bundesliga and Spain's La Liga are all in action. So yes, chances are you're spending your weekends on the couch watching game after game after game because it's been a while. And uh, the good news is not only can you watch your favorite teams from Europe, there are more and more American players to watch. And how great is that? The Americans abroad contingent continues to grow. More players heading over. More players taking prominent roles. More players ready to become superstars. And that golden generation shining a little brighter every single week. So first things first, obviously Americans Abroad is the, is the topic. First player we will talk about, Joe Scally. How about Joe Scally? I'm recording this late Friday evening. And for those who missed it, Joe Scully made his Bundesliga debut. And who did he make it against? Bayern Munich. And he didn't just make his debut. He started at left back. Started left back for Borussia Mönchengladbach on Friday in the Bundesliga opener. And they tied 1-1. And Joe Scully, 18-year-old Joe Scully, was one of Mönchengladbach's best players. You could argue he was their best field player because, you know, Jan Sommer, the goalkeeper, he was man of the match. Picking up where he left off in in the Euros where he was just unbelievable. But Joe Scally at left back with Leroy Sané on that side with Robert Lewandowski roaming around. This 18-year-old New York City FC Academy product held his own. He didn't just hold his own. He didn't just hang on and, and have an okay game. He actually played well. And, I mean, you got to give the kid credit. And I'll call him a kid because he's my son's age. So, yeah, I'm feeling a little old. I'm feeling a little old right now. Full, full disclosure. <laughs> I'm feeling old. But Joe Scally did not play like an 18-year-old. He did not look like an 18-year-old. Not physically. Not in his the way he carried himself. I mean, this he had no fear. He took people on. He got in in tackles. He, was, he wasn't afraid to get forward. There was no shyness to his game. And, it's, and you love to see it. And obviously, credit to Mönchengladbach. They brought him in January. They bought him from NYCFC. They brought him along. He played in Mönchengladbach's second team through the first half of, of 2021. Then in preseason, he, he played a prominent role. He actually started a, a stretch of matches. And then Mönchengladbach's left back gets hurt. And Scali's a right back. He's a, he's a natural right back. But he can play on the left. And yes, he can. He actually really can play on the left. We saw him on Monday. We talked about it last episode about him in the DFB Pokal playing well. And how that just might help him get a start. And he did. He got the start Friday. And it was, I mean, I have to say I was blown away. Because it's one thing to hold your own. It's one thing to be okay in a Bundesliga debut. But to do it against Bayern and to be one of the best players on the field at the age of 18, this is, the, I got I'm going to have to keep repeating this because it's just like, I'm looking at this. And I'm just like, what? It's crazy. Crazy. But look, Bravo, great start for him. Two good games in a week. And if you're Adi Hooter, the, the Mönchengladbach manager, you're feeling pretty good about Joe Scally and being able to use him wherever you need him. Now, obviously, Mönchengladbach has a very good right back. Stefan Leiner, the, he's a veteran. Right back position is his. And eventually, the left back that's injured now will come back. 
But just with the perform, just with the the games that that Scally has had already, he has shown that he can handle himself. He he's shown that it doesn't because like if you start with Bayern, if you start playing against Bayern and play well against who's who's next? What can, who can't you play? Who can't you like you know? Who is that manager going to be afraid to put him on the field against if he's already passed the Bayern test? So that's great. Bravo to him. And guess what, folks? Another right back for the pile of American right backs. And, and interestingly enough, my from my understanding, I think Julian Araujo uh, was going to step forward and, and declare himself that he would play for Mexico. I haven't seen that officially. I haven't seen that confirmed. But if he does, can you blame him at this point? I mean, look at all the right backs. Serginio Dest, obviously. Brian Reynolds. Reggie Cannon. Shaq Moore. Joe Scally. DeAndre Edlin's still around. He's 27. It's not, it's like, he's, it's not like he's in his 30s. And that's not even counting the other MLS uh, right backs. Kyle Duncan, who's been great. Aaron Herrera, who's very solid. So right backs, the U.S. is is preset right now, right back. And Joe Scali, you know, even though he played left back, you can see it. You can see the maturity, the strength, the the toughness. Just in the, look, if you throw him in the deep end against the Bayern I don't think we need to see him at right back to know he can handle himself at right back also. So if Greg Berhalter's watching, and I'm sure he was watching, he's going to have to take stock and say, oh, I might have to bring Joe Scally to World Cup qualifying camp. Now, this one game alone doesn't do it. I just want to be clear there because I saw some of that on Twitter, obviously. People saw it. And it's, you know, it's always so quick. It's always like, oh, one game, that's it. He did it. That's it. He's automatically in. Like, no. This isn't a, this isn't a video game where... If you pass a certain level just one time, like automatically you get a chip to go to this next level to the, you know, to what World Cup qualifying is. He needs to show it over time. So one game. Great. Absolutely. Love what you saw. But now build on that. See what happens in the next game. They play Bayer Leverkusen next week and you have to think he's going to get another chance. But you got to love what you saw. Every American fan who watched that game came away thinking what he's how old? That's his first Bundesliga match, and he plays like that? NYCFC Academy product, by the way. And I know some people are like, wait a minute, why didn't NYCFC use this kid? Why didn't he play more for them? Well, look, Anton Tinnerholm, one of the best right backs in MLS. And Scally was 17, 16, 17 when he was with the first team. So not easy. Not easy to get him in there. But guess what? He's made the most of it at Mönchengladbach, and here he is. And now we have another player to keep track of. Another American in a top league doing well. And we know who the top player on that list is, and that's Christian Pulisic. And of course, Pulisic added another trophy. They won the UEFA Super Cup on Wednesday, Chelsea. And Christian Pulisic came off the bench uh, for an in- injured Hakim Zayic, and he went on to score the, uh, he scored a penalty, sh- a shootout penalty. He scored the, he converted the sixth of seven penalties. And how, how I got to say, one thing I'm for sure wondering American fans have to be feeling pretty good about the fact that, I mean, aside from Christian Pulisic being a very good player, he's kind of shown now that, you know what, if you have a penalty, you have a pressure penalty, you need someone to take and make, he's your guy. And look, I know he showed it in the Nations League final against Mexico because, I mean, you want to talk about a pressure penalty kick uh, late in extra time in front of a very pro-Mexico crowd in Denver, and he top bins it past Memo Ochoa. I mean that. I mean that was enough to prove, like, okay, this guy's got it. This guy's a guy. You you want him at the spot. But then for him to do it against Villarreal in the UEFA Super Cup, six round, they went on to win in seven rounds. Uh, Antonio Rudiger scored the last one for Chelsea, but still, you love to see that, and it makes you feel good knowing when the time comes, and the time will come. In World Cup qualifying, you have a spe- you have a penalty kick. You know who's going to take it. He's going to take it. Now, it's not all It's not all cake and ice cream with Pulisic. We, we do have to acknowledge the fact that Pulisic is going to be facing some very, very tough competition for minutes this year at Chelsea. And that competition has gotten tougher now that Chelsea has signed Romelo Lukaku. Romelo Lukaku complicates things for, for Pulisic. And no, they do not play the same position. Specifically, obviously, Lukaku is a striker. 
But those who saw Chelsea last year know that that uh, Thomas Tuchel liked to, you know, use different players in different positions, and and he has he has different players who can play in a striker role. He can play. He can set up a a, a formation with a false nine. He had a lot of variety in his in his uh, deployment of players and his tactical approaches, and it worked out well because you had versatile players. You had you know obviously you you know Timo Werner had his ups and downs. Obviously he struggled a bit last year, but Kai Havertz someone you could put up top. You could even play Pulisic as a false nine. You could do a lot of different things when you don't have that pure, natural number nine striker to count on, to be your guy. Well, guess what? Romelu Lukaku is that guy. They've brought him in to be the number nine. And guess what? That means fewer minutes to go around, and that means for players who last year would have spent time in that role, now they have to find other places to get their minutes. Goes for Havertz, goes for Werner, goes for Zayic, and goes for Pulisic. So you, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see the the battle and how Pulisic responds. And we've seen it before. We've seen him have that challenge for playing time. And he's risen to the challenge a couple of times. So I'm not going to sit here and say he can't do it. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to get stuck on the bench. And I know people are worried. American soccer fans worried, but I think he's shown it. He's shown enough times that he can handle himself in those situations that maybe give him the, give him the benefit of the doubt. He'll get on the field. And from there, he's just got to make the most of it. Cause one thing I would say is, you know, obviously Hakeem Zayich was injured. He, he injured his shoulder in, in the super cup. We want to see how long that's going to be, but that's an opportunity for Pulisic to play increase the chance of him getting minutes. And you just, you know what? You just have to make the most with the minutes you get. Thomas Tuchel is very much a ride the hot hand kind of coach, manager. If you play well, he keep he's going to keep you in there. I mean, and obviously he likes to rotate, but I think if Pulisic plays well, he will continue to play. Now that's that he's got to just got to deliver. That's what it's going to come down to and uh this isn't all bad. Having a, a player like Lukaku is great. Because if you set him up with service, he should finish it. He'll finish it at a better rate than Werner was finishing chances last year. I know that's not saying much, but we all know he had his struggles. And we all know with a more reliable number nine up there, that's a better chance for assists for Pulisic. That's more attention drawn by drawn away from Pulisic. Because that's the thing with Lukaku is he's going his on top of his presence up top. The threat he presents, the fact that defense have to pay attention, and he's also very good in terms of you know his holdup play. So this is not by any means this is not all bad. This is not necessarily a bad thing for Pulisic to be able to play with someone like that, a striker like that. So I think it's great. I mean, I'm a big Lukaku fan. I think he's going to do well. I know he didn't do well the last go around at Chelsea, but I think this time around, I think he's a more experienced player. I think he's I think he's more equipped now. To handle this move and and you know for those who don't know the backstory i mean lukaku grew up a chelsea fan he like loved the uh didier drogba there was that great footage of him he was on a field trip at stanford bridge when he was like you know a teenager and you know it, it, you see the dream there you see him kind of thinking to himself i'll be and he actually said it he said I'll, I'll play here one day i'll be playing here one day and obviously this is the second time around but still this time around i think he's gonna make the most of it and hopefully it works out for Pulisic, and hopefully it helps Pulisic continue to really show what he can do. And uh, obviously this weekend, you're going to have the full slate of matches in the Bundesliga, in the Premier League, and in La Liga. And one match to watch if you're an American soccer fan, Norwich City against Liverpool. And Josh Sargent, welcome to the Premier League. You get Liverpool right off the bat. Not an easy one. Virgil van Dijk is back. We know how good Liverpool is. Huge, huge underdog. Norwich City, huge underdogs. I was looking at the line... And uh, it's not going to be easy, but this is what this is what you deal with when you're playing for a team that's newly promoted. You're going to be the underdog. So we'll see what kind of, uh, you know, playing time he can get right off the bat. I mean, you have to think, obviously, Timo Puki is is the striker, but Sargent's been there, you know, less than two weeks now. So you wonder how, how, you know, where he is in the pecking order right off the bat. But hopefully he can get out of the field and obviously against Liverpool, it's not going to be easy, but. He's in a big time now. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do if he gets the chance this week. And now in Germany, obviously, we mentioned uh, Scali on Friday with the performance he had. You have Gio Reyna and Borussia Dortmund going up against 
Timmy Chandler and Nightshack Frankfurt, a match you're going to want to watch. Giorena, for me, if you're an American soccer fan and you can watch him play, you watch him play every chance you get. Because I think he's going to have a huge year. Obviously, Dortmund holding on to Erling Haaland. That's huge for them. They they only sold they sold Jaden Sancho obviously to Manchester United, but they were able to keep most of their team together. You have Jude Bellingham there, Marco Royce, Torgan Hazard. They have they've got weapons. Rafael Guerrero. They 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 have a squad now. Their defense you can still you know have your questions about the about the defense and how good it is. Can they really mount a title challenge? Tell you what, Gio Reyna has a huge role in this Dortmund team this year. A lot is going to be expected of him this year. And we're going to see right off the bat, first game. And for those who don't remember the first game last season, when Reyna, you know, he kind of went into the last season when everyone knew, okay, he's going to get a chance to start now. First game, he crushed it. Great first game. Let's see if he can do it again. He's wearing the number seven now. He, he picked it up from Sancho now that Sancho's at Man United. And I had to say, this, the, Re, the, the Reina Haaland combo, the, the Reina Haaland chemistry, it's just, it's a joy to watch. And obviously, if you're an American soccer fan, you love it because Reina is, is, you know, that, he's that kid. He's the golden, you know, as much as Pulisic, you know, quote unquote, the golden child. Reina, Gio Reina really is the golden child for me because 18 years old, starting for Dortmund. Expected to be a key player for Dortmund. And he's only 18. He's still 18. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. Like, you don't even think of it that he's 18, but he's 18. So looking forward to that season for him. And um, obviously there's, you know, all, all these Americans that are going to be in action. Sergio Dest in Barcelona. You want to see how they respond. Obviously, life after Messi won't be easy. There's even been rumors about maybe Dest going on loan. Uh, AC Milan has been mentioned. I don't know how much I buy that. It's not going to be easy for Dest. He's got competition now. Emerson Royal has been brought back by Barcelona. Very good fullback. So it's it's. Uh, I mean, one thing you know, Ronald Ronald Koeman likes Sergio Dest as a player. So Dest is going to get his chance, and he he showed well against Juventus in the uh, in the Gamper Trophy. Uh, which is glorified friendly, but still, Dest played well, so we'll see how he does this season. And um, that's just some of the players obviously playing this weekend. And obviously, one of the big things that still there's a lot of unresolved uh, storylines still with Americans in Europe who are waiting to make moves, who are expected to make moves. And uh, I wrote a piece for SBI. Make sure you check it out if you're listening to this and you haven't read it yet. Basically, running down kind of those players who are in limbo and expected to make moves. And it's not every single player who can make a move, but there's a good number. I'm going to say at least a half dozen. Topping that list, Chris Richards. He was on the bench for Bayern in, in, the, in the match against Mönchengladbach. He's been linked to Leicester City. Leicester City's in a bad way when it comes to center backs. Obviously, Fofana's long-term injury. Now they had another center back injured. So they, they, they need center backs. So he's been linked there. We all know Hoffenheim wants him back. Bayern reportedly is ready, is willing to sell him to Hoffenheim for the right price. What that price is, if it's too expensive, remains to be seen. But you'd like to see Richards go somewhere where he's going to get playing time. And, and I don't know if Bayern, you know, obviously you, you get the sense Nagelsmann likes him, but you don't, Nagelsmann is not going to start Chris Richards. So ideally, best case scenario would be him go to Hoffenheim. He played there last season. He had a really good loan stint there. He knows the manager. It's really the perfect place for him. But obviously, they have to agree on a fee. They have to agree on a price. And that's where things have been a little complicated. But Richards is one player. You have Matt Miazga. You have Owen Otisoe, who's been linked to Club Bruges. Wolves, ready to let him go. Uh, Eric Palmer-Brown, obviously the Venezia links that have been around for weeks. Nothing new on that front, but he's got to make a move. Man City's ready to part ways with him. Mad Miazga, his days at Chelsea are, are pretty much a, a wrap. He's going to go, and you wonder where he ends up. There was a new link of him to Rayo Vallecano, which, I mean, I saw the report and it looked a little flimsy. It just, I mean, they were just kind of thrown in there as a name of a team, and you kind of wonder, wh- where does this come from? Where's the, where, like, what's the source for this? So I have my doubts about it. But look, Rayo Vallecano is a nice little club in Madrid. I actually was able to visit uh, th- their facilities when I was in Madrid, and it wouldn't be, look, Miazga in Spain wouldn't be bad. And guess what? If he goes to Spain, guess who he might get to see? 
his boy Diego Lainez, who plays for Real Betis. Real Betis. So uh, we could get a little Miazga Lainez reunion, but he's another player. Uh, you have uh, obviously Matthew Hoppy, who is not, who was not in uniform for Schalke for their match this weekend. Uh, they played on Friday. Reportedly, it was food poisoning or some gastroenteritis. And trust me, as someone who's had those issues before, I can see how that would knock you out. At the same time, I'm sure some people are like, yeah, sure, he's sick. He's got transfer windowitis. We know they're making, they're getting him ready for a move. Remains to be seen. Obviously, there's been links floating around for a while, linking him to various teams in the Premier League. But we'll see how uh, we'll see how how strong those are. If you're Schalke, you're ready to sell. As much as I think they would use him, they could use him, but they, they've already brought in different striker options. So if they can get a good price from him, you, can, you know why why not sell? And if you can get Hoppy in the Premier League, I mean, come on, who wouldn't want that? After what we saw in the Gold Cup, what he showed in the Gold Cup, you want to see him get a chance in the Premier League. Although some of the clubs he was linked to, you wonder where he would be in the pecking order there. So that that it's always tricky. It's always tricky because it's one thing to be linked to these bigger teams because it's a jump. It's a jump from currently relegated Schalke, worst team in the Bundesliga Schalke, to mid-table Premier League. You're not going to just step in and start one of these teams. I mean, Josh Sargent, who's the number one striker in the U.S. pool, or the, he's the you know the starting striker in Greg Berhalter's attack. He's he's joining a, a newly promoted team where he isn't even expected to be the starting striker. So it kind of just shows you the levels there. But hopefully, Hoppy can make a move. Hopefully, he can go to the Premier League because it'd be great to see him there. Uh, you have Cameron Carter Vickers, obviously. Tottenham's ready to part with him. I mean, he's been doing the loan dance for years now. It's time to go somewhere else. He's been linked uh, to Celtic, to Newcastle, and now more recently, he's been linked to a move back to Bournemouth. And he obviously did well at Bournemouth, so you could see why they would want him back, want to bring him back. I think that'd be a good move for him. So, you know what? He's still a player who, for me, I think it'd be nice. It'd be good to see him get a chance with the national team. He's uh, he's put together pretty... He's 23 years old. That's the crazy thing, right? Like, you think Cameron Carter-Vickers, he's been around forever. You think he's 28, 29. No, he's 23 years old. And he's got as many games played at 23 as, as any other player, I think, that you could that's in that same age range. He's been putting the minutes in. He's been putting the games in. And before anyone says anything about the league championship, if you want to slander the league championship, ask yourself if you had anything to say about Daryl DK because I got I felt like everyone under the sun was freaking out and going crazy about Daryl DK scoring goals in the league championship. So if you're one of the people who went crazy about Daryl DK scoring goals in the league championship, then put some respect on Cameron Carter Vickers, who has been a starter and a high and like a successful starter in the league championship for years now, and he's still only 23. So hopefully he can make his move, the move that, you know, a move that will help him continue to develop. And he, for those who forget, he was on the preliminary roster for the Gold Cup. Greg Berhalter wanted to bring him in. The uncertainty about his club situation led Berhalter to say, you know what, not now. So we'll see. That's just some of the players. Otisoe's one for sure. If Otisoe goes to Club Bruges, you're talking about Champions League. Club Bruges is in the Champions League group stage, and that would be another American playing in the Champions League. And I think I mentioned it last episode. You could see as many as 12 Americans in the Champions League. 12 American players. You could actually see 12 American players and two American managers in the Champions League. You obviously have Jesse Martian, RB Leipzig. But you could also have David, David Wagner and Young Boys, who obviously have Jordan Sibichu. They have the playoff round still to play. And uh, they're actually going up against another American in Henry Wingo in the Hungarian side, Ferenc Varos. But yeah, that's that, I mean, if you can get 12 Americans in the group stage, that, that would be a new record. And the record was just set last year. So, you know what? It just, it just shows it continuing to grow the, the Americans abroad contingent. So I think that's it on the Americans abroad front. Moving on, we obviously... Have to talk U.S. men's national team and the U.S. men's national team has jumped up 10 places to 10th in the FIFA rankings, the highest ranking for the U.S. since 2006. 
since FIFA changed their whole criteria, their whole setup for the rankings, which I believe happened after the 06 World Cup. And it it matters. It, it's actually their significance to being to, to the ranking as much as everyone has their questions about the FIFA rankings. And it's easy to take them as a joke, but they actually matter in a mul- on multiple fronts. They can matter when it comes to getting work permits, if you're trying to play in England. And now with a top 10 position, that's going to help. That can help players who want to play in England. And it also puts the Americans a little bit closer to the dream of being a seeded team at the World Cup. And it's still far away. A lot still would have to happen. Because realistically speaking, you need to be a top seven team to be one of the eight seeded teams. Because Qatar, as the host, will be a seeded team. And then it's the top seven. At least that's what it is now. Of course, FIFA could turn around and change their whole criteria for the seeds, you know, tomorrow. You you never know, right, with FIFA. But if it stays the same, the U.S. is now that much closer. They're still behind Mexico, mind you, barely. It's like by the narrowest of margins. But basically, if the U.S. crushes it in qualifying, Let's say they run away. Let's say they just dominate in qualifying. They win the octagonal. They finish first place in the octagonal. They beat Mexico. They run the table. I mean, obviously, they're not going to run the table. Not, you're not winning every qualifier in CONCACAF. Sorry. As great as it would be, it's just it's not going to happen. But let's say this U.S. team really, really dominates in qualifying. They'll move ahead of Mexico. And then that means two more teams that they'd have to pass in the top ten. To break into that top seven. So it's not. It's not impossible. It's not going to be easy. But it's not impossible. Something to keep in mind. As we move closer to World Cup qualifying. Which is around the corner. It's around the corner. And obviously as I said last episode. If you're listening. If you were listening last episode. I am going to get into the midfielders. And the strikers. That we should see be part of the. The uh, World Cup qualifying squad in September. But before we get into uh, the World Cup qualifying squad, another storyline we have to touch on is David Ochoa. And David Ochoa has formally and officially chosen to play for Mexico. His one-time switch, he did file it. It was approved. And he announced his decision, I believe it was Wednesday night. So it was after the last episode of the SBI show came out. And uh, he he kind of he teased it on Instagram with a picture of himself as a kid, as a little kid, in a Mexico uniform. And then the next day, he released an article he wrote on the Players Tribune, where he pretty much laid out a whole story about how you know he grew up as a Mexico fan. His his family's obviously Mexican, and he grew up cheering for the Mexican team, watching Liga Mekis. Like he was a hundred percent all in with the Mexican soccer upbringing. And he laid out in a whole story. And basically, he tried to explain the, the emotional attachment to, to Mexican soccer and why he felt more comfortable there. And, I, you know, I know some people struggled with. You have two groups of people. You have a couple of different groups of people. You have people who don't understand the whole idea of a dual national having an emotional attachment to more than one country. Number one. Then you have some people who are just completely cynical and don't buy any of this story and don't buy any of the. The heartwarming idea, this heartwarming notion that, you know, he grew up in a Mexico jersey and it it was always in his heart. And there's some people who have some real questions about that because, you know, at least in the American soccer setup, in the U.S. soccer setup, this everything that he said is news to a lot of people. Now, that doesn't mean it's not true, but you can understand why some people are scratching their heads like, where was this? I never heard any of this. I never got it. You know what? It's fine. Some people are going to have their doubts. Some people are going to be skeptical. And there's there was stuff in the article that definitely I could see and you can understand why people read it and say. This is more about playing time. This is more about feeling wanted and not feeling wanted. This is more about him being upset that he didn't get to play for the U.S. when there was the chance for him to play for the U.S. And I could see how people would say that. And for those who didn't read the article, he did touch on. The friendly that the U.S. played against Costa Rica in Utah at Rio Tinto Stadium, Real Salt Lake's home stadium, where he plays professionally. Greg Berhalter did not put him in the game. 
And the show have basically acknowledged and admitted that, you know what? Yeah, that wasn't, I wasn't crazy about that. That wasn't a great feeling. And then what happens? He accepts the, the invite to train with Mexico and he felt at home. The players made him feel at home. He saw all the players he grew up watching. Apparently he got a message from, from Memo Ochoa. Uh, you know, Hector Herrera talked to him and, and like really wanted to know him and like follow him back on Instagram. So there was this whole story. He painted this whole picture about how it felt like home. Like he felt that, like it felt right for him to play, for, to be with the Mexican team in a way that you get the sense it never felt like with the U.S. And it definitely, you know, as you read the thing, and to be clear, Ochoa didn't didn't cast any blame. He didn't criticize U.S. soccer. He didn't say, you know what, they made him feel like crap. There was There was no negativity in it. But there's still going to be questions about what could have been done or what can be done in the case of Amer- of, of Mexican-American players? And how do you ensure that this doesn't happen repeatedly? And the reality is you're going to lose players. The whole, the, there, there are always going to be Mexican-American players who feel more of an attachment to the Mexican team, to Mexican soccer, who to feel more more comfortable and at home in a locker room and in a camp with Mexican players. That's the sense you get from Ochoa that, that he felt more comfortable in that setting. And they're going to be players like that. And they're also going to be players who, you know what they go, if they might go try that, they might go to the Mexican camp and it might not feel right at all. I remember interviewing Ulysses Yanez and he's another player who in the youth setups, he played he was in he attended US camps, he attended Mexican camps. And he said he said, he told me he didn't it didn't feel it didn't feel comfortable. He didn't feel comfortable in the Mexican camp. Now could that change down the road? Could could Ulianas, you know, as he, when he gets his career rolling again, that could he change his mind? Possible. It's possible. Ochoa changed his mind because I remember talking to Ochoa, I want to say two years ago. And you never would have gotten any, and I've said this now for a few episodes, I, you would never would have got any sense that he, he intended to play for Mexico or that he wanted to play for Mexico. If anything, I remember him talking about how, you know, what it means to play them and beat them. And I'll make it my mission to find that interview so I can play it on the next episode. It's on my to-do list this weekend. I will have it for the next episode. So keep an eye out for that. And I know, look, at the end of the day, some people don't care anymore. I saw that a lot. A lot of U.S. soccer fans were pretty much like, well, I don't have to care about this kid anymore. Moving on. Matt Turner, how you doing? Ethan Horvath, how you doing? Zach Steffen, how you doing? And that's fine. If you're a U.S. soccer fan, you don't have to care about David Ochoa anymore because he's a Mexican national team player. Unless you're an RSL fan. Obviously, if you're an RSL fan, Ochoa's still your goalkeeper. You got to love him. But there's definitely a lot of cynicism from people who think this is all BS and that it's more about him being upset, him being made promises by the Mexican Federation, because the Mexican Federation has made it a point to really go after Mexican American players. Obviously, you want all the talent you can get, but you also understand it's a every time a player like David Ochoa, like Efrain Alvarez, like Jonathan Gonzalez, every time one of these players chooses the uh, chooses to play for Mexico, it's a victory for Mexico, and they'll use it to. Recruit the next players. And now Julian Araujo, you get the sense, is going to be that next player. But the, the, the real question at this point is what can, if anything, U.S. soccer do better or differently? And, that's, and I know that's what people are wondering right now when it comes to this whole situation, especially if you see more and more Mexican-American players choose Mexico. If Ricardo Pepe chooses Mexico. Jonathan Gomez, although, you know, he's obviously still young, but he's very, very talented prospect if he eventually chooses Mexico. I've I said this before. I've said it in past episodes. If that happens, if all these players choose Mexico, it it it's something to look at. It's absolutely something to look at. And one thing I would say, and this is kind of my... You know, when I really, because I mean, I really spent a lot of time thinking about it myself. And look, I'm not Mexican. I'm not Mexican-American. I'm Peruvian-American. But I definitely relate to and understand the idea of, of dual national and having a, a, an a emotional connection and attachment to a different country 
along with the United States. But here's what it comes down to. The environment in the current U.S. soccer setup, in the current U.S. men's national team setup, all you hear about is how great it is and how inclusive it is, how welcoming it is. And all you have to do is look at how diverse the team is now. It's not a 95% white team. It's a, it has, you have Latino players. You have black players. It's actually, they're actually more minority players. I, I mean, when you think about it, there's actually more minority players on this team than there are white players. And aside from that, you, you see players who obviously didn't grow up in the U.S., players like Yunus Musa, Serginio Dest, who, who take part in the group, who join the group, and they feel welcome. It feels like a welcoming environment. So if you have all these players responding so positively, is it the environment or is it the players? You ask yourself, with some of the Mexican-American players, you know, Efrain Alvarez was in a camp. He was in a December camp. Now, Efrain Alvarez is a Mexican-American growing up in L.A. Where is he going to feel more comfortable or more at home? In a truly diverse multicultural camp where there are black players, white players, and Latino players? Or is he going to feel more at home in a camp with all Mexican players? Was gonna f- that it's going to feel like the kind of team he grew up playing with. Same thing with David Ochoa. Is he going to feel more at home in a U.S. camp where you have, where you have every, every ethnic group, every race represented? Or... Is he going to feel more at home around Mexican players? And that and that's that's when you think about that, you ask yourself, what can what more can Greg Berhalter do? Because I I was having this discussion with somebody, and then you're kind of like, if the formula for the entire group is working right now, the the million dollar question is, how do you not ruin that recipe, but change it if you can? To help incorporate some 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 of these, or have it be more welcoming for Mexican player Mexican American players, and maybe that's just an impossible thing to figure out. I don't like to think that because for me, I, there has to be a way. There are things that have to be able to be done to make it a more a more welcoming environment, or there have to be things that could be done to embrace the Mexican American player in a, in a better way. I have to think that. I have to think there's a way. And that does that mean U.S. soccer is doing something wrong? I, it's hard to point to it. I mean, you can definitely say, okay, can there be more inclusivity? Can there be more Mexican-American representation in the coaching ranks up and down the pipeline? You can say that. You can look at it and say, yeah, there could be some of that. Could U.S. soccer bring in former men's national team players like a Jose Torres or, or Omar Gonzalez, who, you know, he's not, I don't know if Omar Gonzalez retired from national team, but... Can they reach out to these type of players? I know Hercules Gomez has been very vocal about, you know, pointing to the fact that he's never been asked. But I mean, but he's also been one of the one of the most outspoken critics of U.S. soccer. So I have a feeling U.S. soccer is not in a hurry to call him specifically. But someone like him, they absolutely should be calling. They should be calling whether it's Jose Torres or Edgar Castillo or those Joe Corona players who've been in this situation to try to help understand things and try to maybe help have these players work with the, these type of prospects. Something needs to be done, I think. I think, And there's no easy answer. But I know some people are going to be quick to say, oh, it's, you know, there's problems. It's, it's a, there's a negativity. And when it comes down to it, David Ochoa had every, re, every opportunity to come out and crap on U.S. soccer and say, look, this is what they did. They made me feel like crap. The, the environment is terrible. You know, he could have said any of those things, but he's only been positive. He's only been positive. And you could you could say, oh, he's being diplomatic. But why? He's 20. He's he's committed himself to Mexico. He has embraced the villain role in, in MLS. So why would he not embrace the villain role with the national team? If he had a gripe, if he had gripes, why wouldn't he lay them out right now? Same with Julian Araujo. If Julian Araujo is going to play for Mexico. He will have his opportunity. And I know Araujo has had interviews before where he's talked about things, but in terms of if if there are things, if there's stuff going on that's negative, that needs to be changed, 
then these players need to speak up and say that because that's the that's how things are going to change. That's how the necessary changes will be made by having people speak up. Because as of right now, it feels like a situation that like is really hard to manage as a group. Maybe on an individual basis, could can you do things? Yes, could can Greg Greg Berhalter when it comes to as an example, Ricardo Pepe. If I'm Greg Berhalter and I'm seeing this going on, and look, David Ochoa, is David Ochoa going to play, start for the U.S. National Team anytime soon if he didn't switch? No. So it, it, should that be the a major priority for Greg Berhalter? No. But I have to think he's looking at this and saying, okay, what can I do? Now you have Ricardo Pepe. Talk to Ricardo Pepe. And I know he has. But maybe be a little more proactive. Maybe Greg Berhalter could be a little more proactive with some of these prospects. And I know Greg Berhalter works the phones. He he's he, he is putting in the work, managing the group, managing the player pool. He is. He's out there trying to to secure the dual nationals. He's obviously been very active and he's been very successful. And I and I I I'm pretty positive that he is also sitting there trying to think. What can I do? What can we do? So it's uh, we'll see. I mean, with David Ochoa, it's an, it's it's an unfortunate one, but the good news for American soccer fans is that there is talent in the pipeline. The pipeline is a flowing, and as much as you don't want to lose these players, here's what it comes down to: the Me- Mexican the Mexican Federation is taking advantage of an opportunity right now because their pipeline's not flowing quite as well. They aren't developing quite as much talent as U.S. US soccer because if they were, they would need to keep tapping into the pipeline, that the U.S. pipeline, and they wouldn't have to keep going after players who've spent their entire youth careers playing for the United States. So if anything, if you're, if you're an American soccer fan, maybe you should feel a little flattered that Mexico is now so eagerly tapping into that American uh, American player pipeline. It is what it is. And you can't blame them. I mean, you're losing trophies every every other month. So you can kind of understand why that's happening. But uh, I'm trolling a little bit, aren't I? Um, moving on. We'll, moving on. I know I've, I've ranted on the this David Ochoa situation for a while. We have to talk about the actual U.S. men's national team now. And the players that will take part in World Cup qualifying. And I talked about goalkeepers and defenders last episode. This episode, we're talking midfielders and forwards. And the players that I have going, in, I did a projection last uh, recently for SBI. Make sure you check it out if you haven't already. The midfielders that I have, Berhalter calling in, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Sebastian Legette, Julian Green, Christian Roldan, Eric Williamson, Kellen Acosta, and Brendan Aronson. Now, I know right off the bat, the anti-MLS contingent or the pro-Americans in Europe contingent will cringe when they hear Legette, when they hear Roldan. But I'll tell you what, folks, Legette, he's go- he's in. He's in. He is a regular contributor. And just because he's not playing in Europe right now does not mean he can't be a, a positive influence and he can't make a difference and he can't be an impact player. Christian Roldan, he's on a little bit more of a shaky ground, obviously, because you know what? He he hasn't done the most with his opportunities. And that's continue that's going to continue to be an issue, especially as more of these other midfielders develop and come along. And in terms of players who miss the cut, Yunus Musa, who's injured and probably won't be ready. It more than likely he's not going to be there. Gianluca Busio, he just arrived at Venice, at Venezia. In case you missed it, make sure you, if you don't follow Venezia already on on Twitter, they did their their trademark uh, new player in the gondola video where where you have uh, you know they had Busio just like they had Tanner Tessman, they had Busio in the in the in the gondola kind of you know going through Venice and beautiful stuff. But he's not going to be ready. You don't. You, you, it's hard to imagine Busio getting playing time right away. If he does, that's a different that's a different story. Then if he starts a couple of games right off the bat. That means he's in a good he's in a good place. Berhalter has to bring him in. Other players missing the cut: Luca Del Tor, uh, playing at Heracles in the Netherlands. You have Jackson Ewell, who you know I'll mention him, but he's definitely fallen out of the picture. Caden Clark and Owen Odesoe, as I mentioned, and again Owen Odesoe, a player who if he goes to Club Rouge and becomes a starter at Club Rouge, 
he boosts his chances. I think September's a little early for him, but if he develops into a starter for Bruges, then come October, he's someone to talk about. Absolutely. But uh, just looking at the the list that I mentioned, obviously Julian Green, it's a it's in a very it's a very important season for him in the Bundesliga. I think Grutha Firth is going to have problems in the Bundesliga. I think they're going to struggle. They're not a deep team. They really didn't go hit the transfer market, and they actually lost players. So it's going to be a tough season for them, but Green is going to have his chance to show that he can play at that level. And if he start, if he if he has a couple of good games, I cannot imagine how Berhalter doesn't call him in. I think he absolutely will call him in personally. Eric Williamson is on. I put him on the list. He's someone now. I'm sure he wants to go to Europe. I think right now you you wonder what the market is for him right now. But I I like I was a fan. I liked what I saw in the Gold Cup. I think he's a very good player. And uh, you know, just with what he showed in the Gold Cup, I have to think that he's someone who Berhalter will bring in at the moment. And then I mentioned Brendan Aronson. Now, Brendan Aronson has played more as a wide player, as a forward for Berhalter. But we know he has played more in his career in in a midfield role. And I can see this being a camp where he has a look at Aronson in a midfield role. See what he can do. Because look, he's, he's looked really good playing out wide, as we saw against Costa Rica in the friendly in June. But I personally, I mean, I remember seeing the Aaronson, the playmaker for the union, and he was very, very good in that role. So he can play that dual eight slash dual 10 role in the U.S. setup. And I think it'd be a good chance to see that. And of course, another player who I think people want to see in in one of those in that dual 10 slash dual eight role is Giorena. And, you know, obviously I, di- I didn't list him there in this, but it's something that I am going to write about this week. And it's something I think we absolutely could see. And for those who saw Reyna in the DFB Pokal, you saw him play quite a bit in the middle. And he can play in the middle. He can play centrally. He's done it. And he's comfortable there. He has no problem playing in tight spaces, combining in tight spaces, beating people on the turn, delivering the killer pass. He can play in that central role. And I think it's going to, whether or not he ends up playing in that role, for the United States is going to come down to the wing options that develop. The more really, really good wing options that, that step forward, the De La Fuentes, the Tim Weyas, the better the chances that Giorena will be able to play centrally. Because I think between Reina and Pulisic, I think Reina is the one who's the, I think he's a little more, he's a little better fit playing centrally. And I know for the longest time, and I still remember, I asked Berhalter this two years ago. Before Reina was even in the senior in the senior picture, I asked him about Reina and because obviously he knows Giorena, you know Claudio Reina is one of his best friends. I asked him and said, "Where does he see him positionally?" And two years ago, he had him playing. He had he saw him as a winger, but he knows he can play in multiple positions. But I don't think we'll see Reina in the central role consistently until and unless you have more winger, more wide options, more true wingers really step up to show that they can handle that those positions. Now moving on, we have to talk forward and obviously I just mentioned Giorena. Giorena is obviously one of them. And uh so my list included Christian Pulisic, Giorena, Josh Sargent, Jordan Sibachu, Jassi Zardis, Tim Weah, Conrad De La Fuente, Paul Ariola, and Matthew Hoppy. Now I know you're saying, "Wait a minute, how many players are in this camp?" Well, look, obviously Berhalter's let it be known he's going to bring in a bigger camp because of the fact that the U.S. is going to be playing three qualifiers. They're going to want to have depth to choose from. They're going to be rotating the squad. So it will be a bigger camp. So I, I chose 30 players. Maybe he doesn't bring that many. Maybe he goes with 28. But it's not going to be 23. So I went with 30. So maybe one or two of these guys don't make the cut. But this is the group that I could see coming in. And I know the first name that drew the question marks right off the bat, Paul Ariola. Why would Paul Ariola be called in? He did not look good in the Gold Cup. And to that I say, one, Berhalter rates him, likes his experience, likes what he brings to the locker room. And number two, he's played in World Cup qualifying. He's played in qualifiers. He started in Azteca last time around, last cycle around. So he, you know, you want to have some players that have been in, in this situation. You want some players who've been down in Central America that have battled through the CONCACAF qualifiers on the road. 
There's value in that. Absolutely. And I know, yes, I agree that he didn't have the best Gold Cup. Obviously, he got hurt in the first match. That didn't help. But I think at least for these September qualifiers, I think if you have an opportunity to bring someone in who has that experience, you do it. You bring them in. And uh, just in terms of, obviously, Conrad De La Fuente is a player who, he, he had a very good debut for Marseille. And with what he showed, it's exciting. You have to be excited about what he can give you. Because I have to say, when I think back to the Under-20 World Cup, and I think to back to the appearances that we have seen De La Fuente, I feel like De La Fuente has never really... In at least in like in a U.S. uniform, has never really shown that star quality that we all hear about. I haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. But obviously, you watch that Marseille game and you're like, "Whoa, okay, he he's got it. He's got something." Now you understand. Look, it's not an accident that he had. A, he was with Barcelona's first team and training with them and being in uniform and being on the bench for games. You don't end up there by accident. You got to have some ability. And now we are seeing that with him at Marseille, and hopefully he can continue to play well. And he absolutely will get a chance, just like Tim Weah. And you really want to see Tim Weah grab hold of a, a prominent role. Because you feel like he's been, obviously he had the, the long injury absence, which happened right just as he was ready to get called into the, into the squad. And, he, and he's been in the camps, he's been in camps in the past year, but you don't feel like he's he's really stepped up and really taken hold of a spot. And that's what I want to see. And that's what I'm pretty sure Greg Berhalter wants to see in this next camp. Uh, in terms of missing the cut at forward, you have Dow Dike, Ricardo Pepe, Nicholas Giacchini, Josie Altador, Chris Mueller, Kate Cowell, Jeremy Abobasi. Now, I know Ricardo Pepe is going to be the player that everyone's going to be like, wait a minute, we got to bring him. You got to bring him. You you can't lose him in Mexico. Do whatever you can. I get all that. And if he continues to score goals in August, it's going to be very hard for Berhalter to not bring him in. Because when it comes down to it, there's no limit to how many players you bring in. You can bring in 40. Obviously, at a certain point, it's too many, right? You you can only handle a certain number. But if if he stays hot through August, you find a way. You just do. Uh, and, you know, obviously DK's, it's cool to bid on Daryl DK, but he's still, he's still a talented prospect. He's still a player who has a great future. Um, but for right now, you feel like he definitely lost ground on the Sergeants, Sibachus, and Zardises. And that's your three. That's your top three strikers right now. Giacchini is an interesting one because I think he showed some real quality off the bench. And I know Berhalter appreciates having, being able to bring someone off the bench that can give you an impact. And Giacchini has showed that. He showed that kind of quality to come off the bench and really give you energy off the bench. So it wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up calling him in. And maybe he gets called in ahead of Matthew Hoppy, who we need to see what happens with his situation. Because if Matthew Hoppy makes a transfer move, goes somewhere, and isn't playing, I don't care how good he looked in the Gold Cup, if he isn't playing in August... If he plays no games or hardly any minutes in August, he's not going to this camp. And I think that goes really for any field player in this pool because you have way too many options now to be able to afford to bring a player who's clearly not match fit. If you go the whole month of August and you're not playing any games, you're not starting any games, you're barely playing minutes, you're not going to pl- you're not going to play in qualifying. You're not going to do it. Giacchini, you know, he's going to play for Cayenne, the, the the French second division team. Like, he, he should play there. So he could be somebody if there's a change, if Matthew Hoppy isn't playing, if Paul Ariola isn't available. I see Giacchini being someone who could absolutely be called in. Uh, but that's it. That's that's my projections. Obviously, feel free if you're listening uh, to you know share your thoughts on that. And uh, obviously, I I have my projection on the SBI site. I wrote it uh, at the beginning of the week. If you haven't read it yet, check it out and definitely add your comments in there. Let me know what you think. Do not put a whole projected squad in the comment section. We don't need that. And apologies to anyone who did that. And I had to delete it. I we don't need fifty different projected thirty man rosters. In the comment section. Let me know who you want in there, who you don't want in there. And that's good. 
Uh, and now we've gone super long. I'm looking at the clock here, and we're already at an hour. And I haven't even touched on MLS. This is a long one. And I'm going to have to wrap this up a little bit. But I definitely want to talk about MLS and the League's Cup. And I know I criticized the last episode. And I know I said I didn't, I didn't think we needed this tournament. And nothing has changed on that front. My opinion has not changed in the least. The first thing I'll say is credit to Seattle. Credit to the Sounders for taking it seriously, for putting out a strong team, and for beating Tigres. 3-0. Great game. You love to see it. The other three teams lost. Sporting Kansas City, Orlando City, New York City FC. All three lost. Obviously, Sporting Kansas City got annihilated. 6-1. NYCFC actually outplayed Pumas and probably deserved more. They deserved a win. But they didn't win. They lost in the penalty shootout. And how about Sebastian Saucedo, of all players? Unam Pumas is one American. Sebastian Saucedo scores the winning penalty. And I also thought it was interesting that the same day Ochoa, the same day David Ochoa announces he's playing for Mexico, Sebastian Saucedo scores the winning penalty to beat an MLS team. So basically, RSL Academy alumni... We're breaking American hearts all over the place on Wednesday. What can you do? Orlando City, obviously, tough loss for them as well. I'm not a fan of this competition. I don't get it. I don't see the point. But at least Seattle's still in it. If it would have been a clean sweep of the Mexican teams, that would have been really bad. That would have been really ugly. But hopefully Seattle can carry the torch. They can continue to, to, to roll with it. But for me, as I said last episode, the tournament that matters is the CONCACAF Champions League. And the Philadelphia Union, the last MLS team, lost in Azteca 2-0. And it's a tough one, right? Club America is a very good team. By CONCACAF standards, they are one of the gold standards in CONCACAF. And to lose with some bad luck. The Union had some bad luck go against them. The first goal was deflected. Club America's first goal was off a deflection. Because Andre Blake was locked in. He made some great saves. He looked like he was going to have one of those games. But deflected goal makes it 1-0. And then a, I don't want to say questionable, but a very borderline penalty call goes against the Union. And that's 2-0. So right there, you're talking two, two things that could have easily not gone the other way or not gone against them. But they go against them. And now the Union go back home down 2-0. Is it impossible to still win? I wouldn't say that. We saw LAFC in a similar situation turn it around and beat Club Leon in Champions League. But Club America is a whole other animal. And Club America is going for the kill at Subaru Park. And they really only need one goal. If Club America scores one goal in the second leg, the Union need four goals to win. And I don't see the Union scoring four goals against Club America. So it's not going to be easy. There, It's a long shot. But the Union, you know what? That, that's, how you, that's how legends are born. And, uh, you know, I still remember that LAFC win over Club Leon was impressive. And I'm sure the, fan, the LAFC fans still remember how dramatic and impressive that was. So maybe the Union can pull it off, but it's not going to be easy. Club America is a very, very good team. Uh, moving on, MLS, obviously, this weekend, uh, you have some really good games, and I'm going to run down for you. And by the way, if anything, so I did do my, I did include the lines and include my picks the last week uh, heading into the MLS. And if you win money or you lose money with the picks, if you win money, let me know. If you lose money, I don't want to know about it. <laughs> so I think I did okay. I, I didn't track it, but uh, I know the games that I did that I actually because I don't bet on every game because that's crazy. You really, that's, you're asking for trouble if you try to bet on every MLS game because you're going to lose. I don't care who you are. You can't bet on every game. But I will pick every game and then take it or leave it. So let's run it down real quick here. We have Minnesota at home against the Galaxy. Going with Minnesota, they're at minus 145. Galaxy are a good team, but Minnesota is really tough at home. Galaxy plus 310 is an interesting price. It is but I'm going to go Minnesota. Montreal at home to the Red Bulls. Red uh, Montreal plus 135. So they are the favorite, but they are giving you a decent number. 
We know the Red Bulls are not good on the road. I'm going to go Montreal here. As much as I'm not sold on Montreal, I'm even less sold than the Red Bulls on the road. So I'm going to go Montreal plus 135, decent price. You have NYCFC at home against Miami. Huge favorites, NYCFC, minus 290. I mean, that's such a that's such a big price that it's not even worth. As much as I don't, I think NYCFC is going to annihilate Miami. Uh, minus 290 is like, basically it's almost 30 to 1. So you, you got to bet $30 to win 10. Just to give you an idea, or three dollars to to win one. For those of you who don't know anything about gambling, and catch yourself lucky. TFC at home to the Revolution. This is going to be a good game. TFC plus one sixty five, and their prices are always attractive because you know how good they are when they have all hands on deck. When they have their full squad, you know how good TFC can be, and they're at home. So. I like the TFC price as much as the Revolution are the best team in the league, you can argue right now. Definitely one of the top two best teams in the league. But TFC at home, plus 165. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Do I bet against the Revolution at plus 135? I'm going to go TFC. Take TFC plus 165. FC Dallas sporting Kansas City. This one is an absolute toss-up. Both teams getting the same price. Now, we know Dallas is tough at home, but if you're asking me Dallas versus KC, KC's, KC's the better team. They're the more experienced team. If they have, This is one where you want to see the lineups. You need to wait. If you're going to bet on this game, you better wait until the lineups are out. And if, if, if both teams are full strength, I'm going to go KC, so take KC on the road, plus 135. Houston Dynamo at home against the Rapids, Houston plus 150. Rapids much better at home. I'm going to go to the Dynamo. I think the Dynamo are due for a win. I know they've been struggling, but I think they're due for a result, and I think they get it against the Rapids. And then you have RSL at home, minus 110 against Austin. Austin plus 270. I'll go RSL. RSL is very tough at home. You got, the, you got to play at altitude. I'm going to go RSL, minus 110. That's the Saturday game. Sunday, what should be a very fun game, Atlanta LAFC. Atlanta coming off their first win in 12, and they get Joseph Martinez back. LAFC... With their defensive issues, injury issues, obviously Eddie Segura out for the year. LAFC is they're the actually they are favored. They're plus one thirty five. They have a better number than than Atlanta. I wouldn't pick a team in this, but I would definitely pick the over. There's gonna be goals in this one, at least five. I'm gonna I'm gonna say if it's two, you know obviously the over under is two and a half. I'm gonna take the over all day on this one. You have Fire Crew, Chicago at home. Chicago has been very tough at home, and the crew have been a hot mess. So this is easy, right? Take the fire all day, right? Mm. See, in MLS, anytime a bet or anytime a pick seems like like obvious like that, the other thing happens. The opposite happens. We know the crew are better than they've been playing. So I, and I feel like I have taken a beating on the crew for like like three weeks now, but I'm going to ride with the crew and I think, I think they do it. I think they wake up. They beat the fire. Plus 220. The crew plus 220. That's that's I think that's why I'm going with the crew because I like that price. Nashville at home against DC. Nashville minus 115. A lot of respect for them at home, their home form. But DC United's been playing well. So DC United to be plus 290, that feels like a that feels like an enticing price considering how DC's been playing. But Nashville at home, Nashville's tough. I'd stay away from this one, but I'm picking Nashville if you're asking me who to pick. And then the main event of the weekend in MLS. The Cascadia Derby, Portland at home against Seattle. Portland at home, and they're, they're slight favorites, plus 135. Seattle, one of the best teams in the league, coming off an impressive win against Tigres in the League's Cup. Nicholas Ladero's back. They are plus 175. I love that price. Seattle's been very good at home. Uh, Seattle's been very good on the road this year. We know the song they sing when they win on the road. And we know how much it would mean for them to win in Portland, and they've won in Portland. I'm going Seattle, plus 175. Apologies to all my peeps in Portland. I think Seattle wins in Portland on Sunday. And that's it. That's it. That's all I got. And if and again, this is just for entertainment purposes. If you lose money, don't blame me. But if you win money, I'll send you my... Uh, I'll send you my PayPal. I'll send you my Cash App. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think that's it. That's wrap, That wraps it up. We've, we've covered it all. We could also talk European soccer just real quick. Obviously, Tottenham Man City is the game of the weekend. Harry Kane, will he play against his soon-to-be future employers, or does he not? Great game. 
PSG. Lionel Messi's probably not going to play in that game. I, I d- highly doubt he plays in it. But still, all these other guys, all the other new players who haven't made their debuts yet, like Sergio Ramos, like Donnarumma, you obviously have Neymar and Mbappe. PSG is going to be must-see TV any chance you can watch them. So you're going to want to watch them. And then, of course, Barcelona. I mentioned it earlier. Serginho Dest and Barcelona. How do they respond to losing Messi? Who steps up? Is it Pedri? Does Ansu Fati finally come back from injury? You're going to want to watch Barcelona. They have a tough game. Real Sociedad, very tough first opponent. I think that's going to be a game you're going to want to watch. And that is finally it. Super long episode. Apologies for how long this is. But we obviously had a lot to touch on. And hopefully you're listening to this Saturday morning before the games so you can actually take some of this betting advice that i'm giving you i won't give any european soccer betting advice this episode but you can look out for that in coming episodes and i may even have to start doing a betting separate podcast which something i'm thinking about so keep that in mind and let me know if you'd be interested in that that's it though uh that wraps it up thank you for listening for to all of it because i know i rambled on but i definitely had a lot to touch on a lot of topics to get to Obviously, the David Ochoa situation is a tricky one. It's a it's an interesting topic, and it's a it's a dangerous topic for some people because I gotta say, and I will say this to to my white listeners who have felt compelled to chime into this David Ochoa situation. If you're not, if you're not a dual national, if you're not if you're not Latino, if you don't ha- if you if you can't understand David Ochoa's situation. Just say you don't understand. You're not. You're not gonna understand. And I've seen some people say some very questionable things on social media. Just, just try to understand. And the one thing with the, the Ochoa article, as much as some people question it, question the, the authenticity, whatever. There is real emotion in that piece, and I think people need to take the time to l- try to read it, try to listen to it, and try to understand where he's coming from. But that's it. I think that's all. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Next episode should definitely be out by Tuesday. I know I always give days and I always miss the mark. But maybe if I say Tuesday, then I do it Monday. It'll be a pleasant surprise. But we will be back because there will always be something to talk about. That's all for now. I'm Ivis Kalarsa. This is the SBI Show.